Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, Murmurs and Ranboys. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and this week's podcast is indeed a very special one because on St. Stephen's Day, the 26th of December, the tradition of dressing up in costume and wearing a straw hat and then parading through the villages and towns throughout Ireland was indeed an unbroken custom for many generations. But this is now not practiced as much. But the tradition is still very strong in West Kerry, in Dingle, where I met Mirish Rohan. The tradition was that um, you stepped it off, say, in your own street, obviously, where you were told they all gathered, we'd say, in this case, in this house. And from the village of Turnafulla in West Limerick, Dan Curtin. You would get a pants of different colours or anything, different, anywhere that it would be... Uh, different colours and you would dress up your hat in with Hawaiian ribbons as well and that was it. And in the stole in North Kerry where I met John B. Keane. The wren was common to to Brittany, to Cardinwall. It was common as well to the Isle of Men, very common to the Isle of Men but the only place where it truly survived you could say was along the west of Ireland. You had the Mummers along the east coast of Ireland. The murmurs are where, where we're here. For how, murmurs, how long now? Are, the is murmurs is on the go from, from the 1850s. Christy Nulty lived in an old cottage at the top of Knoll Village in Fingal, County Dublin. The first because I heard, I seen buffalo horns and that from my uncles had them, where the, some of them mummed, and they, they was in 1800s and 50 or 60 a day and they had them round that time they used to mum the whole place round but they also mummed the business about they were, if you invited in for Stevens's night New, New Year's night and Twelfth night there'd be parties in them big houses and the mummers used to be invited to perform at the big houses well going round the other house and then they'd have a mummers ball when, when it was all over How did they dress up? They're dressed there for you Oh yeah, you've got a picture here, but I think the uh, yeah, but they had all sorts of. There's, you see, there is. But if you see on this, now I got you get a better idea on this. There's a mummer for you there on his own. Right, right. now the, the the way that this mummer is, now, you see that he's wearing the straw hat. He's one of the few that's wearing the straw hat there. Yeah. And old rags and, and kind of old things. And old, that was an old pyjamas, an old white pyjamas. And that was a, an old, torn old red uniform that was got ready by Sean and them with a lot of stripes and everything else on it. Right, but we, we lost a half of them in the fire, you see, and had to get fresh out of them. Sacks, a lot of, some of the photos were made out of sacks and painted. Bits of sacks and that done. Hmm. Did the tradition continue in the it same way? It continued on... I don't know as a child, seven or eight years old. It, went, it came in fits and starts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It depends on the thing there, you know. There was a man died there 
about 10 years ago, James E. Bourne, he did all the rhymes that was in the 30s. Oh, do you have any of those rhymes? I have some of them, not so well. Sean has them all written down, you're talking to him. I, I could give you rhyme boys, Janet boys, give me rhyme rhyme boys, sound the horn, the beat, the drum, where the jolly mummers that I had to come. Then there's Prince George, and there's another fella, the, the fight with swords. I don't know, I never done their two rhymes. Then there was the doctor. They, he comes me, doctor, doctor. He's one of his wounds, he's saying, lying on the floor. Then they comes me, doctor, doctor, and a uh, £10 doctor. Well, what can you cure, doctor? I can cure the hip, the pip, the palsy, and the gout, and I won't give you the rest of them to go. And, uh, that's, they, they can be, Dave Conant adds bits and pieces again. Any disease you like, him going. And, and he says, I have a little bottom here in my, in my pocket. He says, hokum, pokum, cure all pine. And he talk, you see him pouring a drop into your man's mouth. Rise up, Prince George. He says, I'm going to fight again. That is what goes on there. Then there's the little devil in, little devil out, trying to back him in my mouth. Too much for one, too little for two. And what to be damned can I do? <laughs> yes. And then there's another one is, uh, click, clack with the baby on her back. I don't know. A girl usually does that. There's a baby with a doll on her back. And then there's Tom the Fool. In comes me, Tom the Fool. I didn't come here to make his cry, I came here to make his laugh. Ladies and gentlemen, sitting by the fire, put your hands to your heart and give poor old Tom his desire. And you can add bits and pieces in. Then there's Johnny Funny. In comes me, Johnny Funny. I'm the Amadon that collects the money. All paper, no brass. Bad money won't pass. And the crooked dime, you can stick it up in your ass. Or, if you see any small changes, buy me a tile, roll of tile of paper to wipe my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so it's extraordinary. And, and keep going. I mean, if, if you have any more of them, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Well, there, there is more of them, but I, I can't remember them. Is there? Yeah, no. yeah. But that's very good. That's very good. And uh, those rhymes would have uh, been very old. Like, them, uh, them rhymes are there uh, 150 years. At least, yeah. They have a different rhymes in some of the, the in down in Kerry. They, they do, do it different, and this is what goes on more or less up for Mana and Armagh. They have and Donegal. They have the same rhymes as we have. The northern side have them rhymes. Yeah. The southern have Wexford have another have some different rhymes with Boule of Vogue and the, what happened in Wexford, and Kerry have a different one. Right. Uh, what about a hobby horse? Was there a hobby horse in, in the, with the mummers that they go around with? No, no, there's not up here. You see, this is, I'm telling you, there's a different, this is, the tradition goes on, but there's slightly different rhymes in, mm. in Kerry. They do it in Kerry. And they, they, they dress to go around, hunt the ran in the daytime. They used to hunt the ran up here to give up that. Yeah. They start at three o'clock and go around the pubs and mum the pubs. Yeah, and and uh, would they appear for any in any other occasion during the year other than they did they, they did a couple of times they they done Hout one night for the the Hout Pipers band how was having that thing what they call the uh, the, the what they have the the sheep stomach you know that what they call that the, the supper they have the supper uh, the, it, oh. they have some special name on it yeah they done that a couple of times. All right, and they're, they're invited. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. The, then the mummers ball, the mum in for the mummers ball. And is there any music played? Oh, yes, there is. The, the 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 music and dance. They do half sets. See, there's be girls in the middle of it where there could be four or five girls. All they they different parts. One of the girls does Jenny the Rain. Yeah. 
In can be Jenny the Wren. Uh, although I'm small, my family is great. That, that's, I can't give it to the rest, or I haven't got it. But a girl says that one. Jenny oh, the Wren. Yeah, yeah. Tradition. It came and went in waves, you see. Then to the war years, there was a lot of the men that was doing it, went to England everywhere else, and it was dead. Mm. Then there was a crowd revived it, and it went going again, and then they went here, there, and everywhere, and it went again. And Sean McFibbon, when he came up, heard about going on, and Sean got it started, and Ballyball ended a thing, and then when Seamus ended, started, he gradually picked up that there was 17 at the trip one night. Was there? Yes, yeah, yeah. 17 was the biggest I've seen. You want about 10 to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 lovely the condition the that that tradition is continuing, you know. Is the tradition is continuing in waves, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And your uncle, you remember the the, the horns that your uncle? Had? I had them, and I, we lost them. Yeah, we had them for blowing for weddings. Did you really? Yes. Yeah. And they left in the place, and I don't know if somebody got a loan or not. There were two big buffalo horns. Yeah. And uh, what about the, you know, at weddings? Would, would, would the mummers come to... Well, no, we didn't have to do weddings. They may, they may have done it a hundred years ago, but we didn't do it. We never was asked for that. But the big day was Stephen's day. And from the town of Listole, John B. Keane. And we'd be awake early in the morning waiting to hear that first thump, which was the very same as the thump of a newborn baby that you put your hand and feel the, the heart beating inside. That distant thump of the boron coming from maybe Cunnacanoor or Coolnaleen or, or, or Nachanoor or Slave Cahill or any of, of the town, lands of parishes around the town. And you'd hear that thump bit by bit increasing in volume as the morning went on. And as 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 the volume grew, you could always make out the music then after a while and mm. bit by bit the thump would become more vibrant as the bands approached the town and they'd match up just it you know and they'd, they'd stop at several houses going up would be good marks good calls like you know and um, they'd go on then and, and they'd collect what they could and you'd give them a drop you know if you knew yes. them like my father would have to open up for all the bands from the Clown Mackin side because he was a school teacher out there, you see, from from that part of the world. And if there was any crowd in from the other side, we'd say from Ballydunna who coming into town, my mother uh, would have to open up the house if she didn't look after because she was Puttle from Ballydunna. All right. And her brothers were great footballers and, yeah. and her nephew Ned used to play with Kerry one time, the Kerry Juniors. And... These had to be entertained, but they'd give, they'd give back more than they ever received. And I'll always remember one particular refrain, which myself and my pals used to call the, the Bedford National Anthem. Bedford was beyond the railway bridge, which was, if you like, like the Vladivostok, you know, of Narkelly. Mm-hmm. When you passed there, like you were going into the unknown. And uh, I say this humorously, of course, <laughs> but... Um, We'd, we'd hear we we we'd we'd hear that band coming down you because their borans made more noise than any of them and they were bigger, and you had Mick Magan and the concertine and you had Ned Leahy, a powerful man playing the boron, and they used to play these. Nobody could play like them, and I, I always remember them, maybe twenty or thirty number going into Mike the Pies, Mike O'Connor's pub up in the top of Pound Lane, and I'd watch them in total wonder, you know. Yeah. And they'd stand outside and they'd give it to him. But their anthem was this. If I had, wait a minute, if I'm doing this for you. Thank you, sir. 
That's that's wonderful. That's great. It was wonderful. I mean, you know, that had words as well, which I. Oh, I won't be a nun, and I can't be a nun. All the priests in the parish wouldn't make me a nun. So I'll find me a man, and he'll put me such a way that I can't be a nun. And in the banging and the banging and the banging, uh, the song was a bit irreverent, but uh, I remember to hear um, a girl uh, girl singing at that time, and I'd be around with bands and a few of them. They had dressed up with the men a few of them as well. I remember the great Boran player of the time when I was young for it was Lil Roan, lovely lady who uh, lived out in Derry Cottages from where all the Renvies came from. And in which countryside, like Derry West, it, it was the countryside where I based my novel The Boran Makers. That is a history of that countryside. And I remember devoted the opening chapters to the makeup of the band and to the individual musicians and, and the roles played by each of the band's members from cashiers, you know. Mm-hmm. The cashier was very important. You had the captain. Yes. And the captain was the absolute boss. <coughs> and um captain was always offered the first drink. And uh, uh, the ritual was that they come to a house and knock at the door and they'd sing. They'd sing that little ditty, like, you know. Yeah. Up with the kitten. No. Up with the kittle and down with the pan and give us a copper to bury the wren. Although he was little, his family was great. Rise up, landlady, and give us a treat. So they'd open the door and they'd let him in and they'd play inside. And depending on the on on, on the, the wealth of the household, they'd they'd they'd, they'd give drinks, bottles of stouts. But in the wealthier households, they'd get glasses of whiskey. And the younger members of Gitlin, but they'd all get tea and bar and brack. It was a big occasion. And for the established bands who'd spend maybe 20 minutes in the house playing, you see, yeah. they'd get what we believe them to be a huge sum, anything from five shillings to ten shillings. Then when uh, a few days after St. Stephen's Day, they'd have the, they'd have the randance, which was referred to at the time uh, by, by the clergy as portables. Most of the clergy outlawed rain dances. I can never understand why. And did it bring many people out into the street? Uh, to, to listen yeah, to them? to listen to them, yeah. Well, they, they wouldn't go out to see, but they would open the windows and look down to them and throw them down money. Right. You know, it was the yeah. done thing. Yeah. Remember, this had been going on for years and years. The rain, you see, I have a theory like that the rain dates back like, to the, the Middle Ages. When? Uh, boxing Day. The word boxing came into being for the first time in, in English literature. The, it was the custom of the time for the poor people of a neighbourhood to go around with their empty boxes to the, to the landlords and to the knights and to the squires of the district and they'd be given scraps after Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. or bottles after Christmas. And that was why it was called Boxing Day. That is that's, that is the truth, actually. Yes. That is the yes. derivation of the word. But... It, I think that thing, we were a sort of branch of that. Maybe not, you see. Maybe not. But the wren was common to to Brittany, to Cardinal, 
it was common as well to the Isle of Man, very common to the Isle of Man. But the only place where it truly survived, you could say, was along the west of Ireland. You had the Mummers along the east coast of Ireland. But the west of Ireland, and of course, one of the great days of the year in Kerry is the Wren's Day in Dingle. That's a wonderful day. Yes. When they parade the Lord Bond, the white mare made, up, made, made from um, lats of timber and, and white calico over it. And... You see, it was a great day out. It was the poor people's day, really, at that time. It was the poor man's ball. Yes. The poor man's ball. And, of course, the clergy denounced it wrongly. And I remember once how two clergymen came from the town, the parish priest, uh, Father Brennan, Canon Brennan in his curate. And and um, I had gone, actually, this but a young yeah. man called John Flavin told me that when they came in, he, he poured a cup of porter for, for uh, um, and he handed it towards the cannon, the cannon swung, but he didn't knock, but he swung at him. And John then handed the cup to the curate, and the curate put his hand, and he said, give him a pat on the head, and shook his yeah. hand, no, 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 thanks, thanks very much. He said, no, no. He said, he had to go along with his boss, but, but he, he succeeded, like, in dampening the proceedings, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it was yeah, quite common, yeah. and I remember coming in home that morning early and my father was sent as a party up the street he said the 24th rare things at the time so I went to that and the following morning the Adela the Ranboys and other Ranboys were read from the altar for having this rent for daring to have this rent dance you know yeah and uh, I think what happened to the church like was for, for this kind of treatment of ordinary poor people decent people you know, I know. Yes, know. yes. It was welcoming to them. Yeah. You know, they did blackguard these people. There's no question about. And another thing, they're the writer of their music. It's a pity. They're, they're the yes. writer of their. And not all priests. No, I know priests have written mad for the Ren and and that we had a canon white here in the store from Bedford. Actually, you mentioned the Bedford. Yeah. Canon White would wait for the Ren to come, and he danced with him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And he, d and he. Um, I had his housekeeper telling my father one time that that's the one day he'd shine his shoes to perfection. Really? And he'd put yes. on his best. Yes. And there'd be a, all edibles waiting for the rent. But he was the only one, I said. But there were other... And in recent times, the younger priests have accepted the rent and they used the rent to, to gather funds, actually. But that time, it was a malaise in the countryside. They were they really ridiculed the rent boys. And they ridiculed their music. You know, it wasn't piano mu music, as they yeah, called it. Yeah. And they didn't carry sheets of music, you know, what I'm reading from, like, you know. They picked up their tunes uh, very wrongly, as I heard the man say one time, but it was he who was wrong. They picked up their tunes with variations, which often gave them new tunes because they had ears for music. And they were able to adapt what they had picked up to another tune. They could link tunes. And in the end, the tunes became known as favourites. You had you had uh, one famous tune called uh, the Rolling in the Ryegrass, uh, which was used to be played by the Deroran, old Jack Duggan's favourite. It was called Jack Duggan's favourite, and it went like this: Da diddle diddle dum diddle dum diddle dum da dum diddle dum diddle dum da 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 diddle 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 da diddle diddle dum da diddle 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 dum da da. Then you had that the sleeve looker one, and. Uh, was known as Bill Nolan's favourite. Bill Nolan was a farmer out in my van, and they'd play that in the uh, 
And oh, it was it was magnificent to listen to these, and you could also hear the, the, the step of the dancers. The two men I will never forget dancing were two uh, low-sized men, Mick Connell and Mick Connell of the Ballybunan Road of that quite there was from Bohorinduf. There was a story told about Bohorinduf at the time. There were two towns there bathing bathing each other. There was Bohorinduf and there was Karakatusa. And one day there was a Dublin guard on the road and he stopped Johnny Nolan going home drunk with no light in his bicycle and he said, John Nolan, your address, my address, he says, is Bohrin Doof. Spell it, says the guard. He says, all right, says Johnny, you can put down Karakatusan. <laughs> <laughs> to spell that would be something, yeah. That was it. But anyway, yeah. these two men yeah. would come and they'd dance in the small square below and every window would go up to watch them. And we'd, all the kids would be out, of course, and the young girls, and the young men, like you say. And, of course, the, 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 the El Dorado for the Renboys was the public houses, the big public houses. Yeah. But they wouldn't come there. They'd do the town first, and, and the country theatre, and then they'd come back that night uh, to collect the pubs. And there, was, there were marvellous nights in the public houses. Marvellous, wonderful nights. I should have taken off that phone, actually, you know. Oh, it's okay. There were marvellous nights in the public house, and they'd play there as well. They'd do all the pubs they could, and they'd get substantial monies in these. I, I, I remember going back now, like, when I had a pub myself, say. I was in my late 20s when I, I used to supply the, the Renardas. Yeah. I supplied my first Renarder when I was 26 years of age. That is, that is 40, what, 46 years ago. And it, it was three pounds a barrel, a firkin for the stout and six pounds for the tears and what the usual uh, order would be would be for uh, three firkins or maybe two half tears and a firkin was, was a quarter tears if you like and it carried 68 pints and the half tears carried 128 pints and there was a man back that part of the world one time I called him Noel mm. and one day he was he was going with a nasting cat to the bog. It was before Christmas. This would be fifty years ago. And before Christmas, and the next thing was anyway, a lorry passed. It was one of Gallivan's lorries here in town. I was talking to the Gallivans about it afterwards. And didn't the lorry jump out, passing a humpback bridge, landed in the rushes at the side of the road, and was never noticed. Noel pulled in his donkey. He managed, with a great effort, to get the half tears into, into the dunk, into the donkey cart. Yeah. Went up along the passageway as far as he could into the bog, where there was stoolens of tough, huge stoolens of tough, and he took one of these apart. He put in his pot the barrel into it, uh, raised about a foot from the ground. He'd have to tap it later, you see, and covered the door with tough so that no one knew what was behind it. And that when he used to come home every day drunk for months afterwards. They couldn't figure out where he was getting the drink or where he was going. And uh, he'd cycled it home. 
and through the back ways of the town, which are labyrinthine at the time, he'd 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 get out of town unseen, and he'd head for his 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 own distillery, his own brewery, and he'd drink seven or eight pints there, and come on home drunk. But I wrote a story about it. I called it the magic stool. The magic stool, and you see, he made the perfect stool. And there was an awful art in making stoolins. There were pony stoolins, and there were donkey stoolins, which were small enough stoolins. There were pony stoolins, midland stoolins, and there were hoss stoolins, which were fine stoolins. They'd be like small round ricks, really, the biggest stoolins for horses. And uh, the guys who, who, who made these, they'd, they'd, they'd take a few doors for Christmas and flog them across in town for port the money for to buy the Christmas. But it was the turkeys that bought the Christmas, you know. Yeah. Turkey money and egg money, there was supposed to be a great look in it. They didn't ever bet anybody ill look, you know. And at the time, there was great store set by look and by blessings as well, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and Kelly used to say, they'd go into the house that time and they'd say, God bless all he and bear the cat and the dog. <laughs> what they had against the cat and the dog, I don't know, you know. And um, they believed, you see, they, they wouldn't. a man would never go out at night at a man. But I was in the house one night, it was a rain dance, and there was, it was one of the Duggan boys, fine young men they were, great musicians. One of them was asked to go to the town, there was a man after dying, for the priest, you see, with no cows. And Casey uh, said, I'm not going alone. Mm-hmm. It was it was a guard that as fatal to go for the priest alone, you see, because a man in his own could be intercepted or lured away by an evil force, whereas two of them together would not, you know. So they went after the priest, and uh, there was no look. They said to him, "There's no looking going for the priest alone." They said, "Imagine, yeah." It was a mark of respect to the dead in the first place, anyway. Uh, they all drank their yeah. soup before they went home that night, you know. Yeah, yeah. they all, and. You'd, you'd have, at the rent dance across you'd have all the old women of the place would come this was, this was their annual night out the old women in their shawls and mm-hmm. they had these beer, and they liked a drop of porter or a drop of whiskey but the tragedy was at the time when fellas would be ordering for the rent dances you see they very rarely took the women into account when they'd be buying for me now for instance they'd say give us four firkins we'll tap them one at a time to keep them fresh give us four firkins give us so many barren bracks, so many loaves of bread, they'd buy edibles, edibles in another shop. They'd give us um, so many boxes of minerals, so many boxes of stock for fellas that wouldn't drink draft out, you know. Mm-hmm. Give us uh, uh, so many two-pound pots and jam. And Jack Duggan used to tell, tell us a great story about a time when he came to town first as a young fella with... Uh, his mother, they were having the rain dance in Douglas. And Jack, that time, used to live out in Derry on the way to Tarmouth. And they had collected their money, and, and Jack was into town, and there was a huge bucket for the bucket of jam. And he went into a place called John of the Wales and Chusted. And John of the Wales, he said, used to wear a, a brown coat down to his ankles, a long brown coat. That was his official girl behind the shop. And, uh, uh, Sometimes for the, for the very people pulling down bacon off the ceiling, you see, to cut off for them. And he'd, 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 he'd wear a, a kerchief around his head, you see. Mm-hmm. And anyway, his wife, Mrs. DeWare, was always dressed in, dressed in black. I remember Mrs. DeWare fondly. Mm-hmm. She was a nice little woman, very jaundiced in her outlook in life, very critical of the neighbours, but always in the most humorous way, so that we were often in stitches at her, you know. Anyway... 
um, oh yes, Jack went into the shop and Jack dug him with the bucket. And inside in the shop at that time, Jack described for us a, a, a vat. He said it was a vat, it was probably a big barrel, you see. Huge barrel of jam. That's where jam used to come that time. There was two kinds. There was um, the jam barn, as they used to call it, you see. The jam barn would be the white jam, like marmalade. Mm-hmm. And the red jam din, you see, which could be, it was mixed jam. Any kind of jam. So, so there was only two jams. There was a red jam and white jam. Anyway, Jack uh, was told to up for the white jam and his mother was there with him and she was buying other items, you know. And Jack, anyway, uh, waited for Mrs. Dewey to come out. And the first thing Mrs. Dewey did was to wear the bucket. And she wrote it down scrupulously in a nice piece of paper, the exact weight of the bucket. And then she climbed up the ladder, a little ladder, smart little ladder, about maybe four feet high, and uh, she told uh, Jack and the mother to hold the bucket, mm-hmm. you know. She got a scoop, and she'd scoop into the barrel, and scoop, scoop after scoop after scoop, and it was, their heart was full, but it wouldn't be full. Now she said, stomp. And Jack and the mother would take the, and they'd hit it off the ground several times, so they all the jam would sink down into it. There was always room for more. So when they finished, they packed it up to the top, and they were only barely able to carry it, and Mr. De Wilson Paddy had to come out to take it out into the Essen car, the weight of it. Right. And uh, when she was finished, then she'd put down the weight, the, fu- the weight of the full bucket, she, she'd just uh, subtract the weight of the empty bucket from the full bucket, and she'd charge uh, a special rate. It was cheaper out of the bucket, you see, than over the jars. Yeah. So that's yeah. where they were. And anyway, there'd be a pile of jam here that night, you see. And there wouldn't be that much butter notice when dances at all, you see. But there was plenty of jam. <laughs> And the jam and the bath and back together provided a marvellous night. And if a fellow was half drunk, he'd be ravenous for anything to eat. <laughs> he'd all the pig's headed be at this time, and all the ham or the spam or, you know, all those yeah. foods they'd have long ago there, like I say. And uh, they'd eat all around. My goodness. And yeah, they'd yeah, eat yeah. the jam as well, you see, it was yeah. with spoons there. And, of course, the porter would, would be handed around in buckets. You would, you would have fellas carrying the bucket. And I'm ashamed to say that my own first experience of total drunkenness was when I was given the great honour of carrying around the bucket at Canafin's Randance. I was about 16 years of age, myself and a fellow, the Lord of Mercy, called Finn Balmacarliff. We, we, we were entrusted, not because we were, we were, we were uh, a bit older than the other young fellows, but because, fortunately for us, we had honest faces. But I, I don't know whether we had we the interior honesty that our faces suggested. But we went around and we were delivering this and, and the next thing we decided to sample ourselves. And for every bucket we took around, we take we take a nice cup of it for ourselves, you know. We were getting we were getting drunk until they finished, the two of us fell asleep by the fire. And uh, we were ready in the morning when they massed into mass. And they massed into mass in the morning. They, they, they played us in to mass for Blackgarden, by the way, whoever we've been such distinguished guests, you see, the two of us. They played us into mass anyway. And we went to the convent chapel, and there was a very cross priest there. And he came out and he cleared them for playing music. And Canvin tried to explain, you know, what happened. And you man, we were ran over the chapel. We, we, we went to Mass elsewhere. But that was part of the ran anyway of the time, you know. There were great, Wonderful glorious stories. Glorious yeah, absolutely. nights. Glorious nights. Well, 
there is no question it's a very unique tradition in England because it goes back at least an unbroken tradition for a couple of hundred years. And from the town of Dingle, Mirish Rohan. There is very little difficulty even in um, pro- proving that, but the tradition of the ring itself is probably even going back, it's a pre-Christian tradition. And possibly many of the parts of the ring would be considered um, uh, to be Christ- pre-Christian elements all the time. And tell me, why is it so special? It's very, very special and unique in Dingle, because, as you know, Dingle is, uh, first of all, there's a town, and every man, many of the major streets had their own rin, ran, and ran, as it was referred to, and the ran itself then would be, um, each group would be organised every separate street, and they would carry out the would in a special way as well. And it, it's the marching, the music... The actual format, the preparation is much different to any any other word that I am aware of. And it's much stronger also. Like, you couldn't but be aware, coming into the town of Dingle on St. Stephen's Day, that there was something special happening. And it's, it's very, very, like, it's very, very unique, because I know people who have come here, some, many by, just by chance, and uh, more people maybe to see the ends, but they were all very, very impressed with it. Just the actual size and the, the number of people is participating in it. Mm-hmm. The very large groups, you know, you'd often hear of rins where there might be 20, 25 people and maybe that would be considered a large group. But in Dingle, some of the groups can have over 100 people participating. I remember actually, I have stories from people who were in the rin. When, when the local um, landlord, say, or the or say, Lord Ventry, there was a tradition even that each of the rins would go back there at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning and the first ran would get a three pound, which was a fortune that in the second round get two and the third would get a pound I think and I remember uh, people here talking about being out very very early the next morning in order to go back to march back there and hopefully uh, get whatever award was there and when it's an interesting point as well Many of the rands, you see, the captain of the ram would have a sword. And in the John Street ran when Lord Ventry was, when they were leaving, the Demolines were leaving Ventry House, uh, they presented a sword to my neighbour, Dan McKenna. Uh, f- and we have that sword all the time in the ran. It's just usually the captain, it's this, captain of the ram carries the sword. Yeah, and what's the format, uh, Marish? Uh, what's the format that takes place uh, on, on the day? In, in Dingle, first of all, say, you had... Probably there'd be four going back a while now. There'd be four very very big runs. There'd be the John Street run, Stradon run, Green and Gold. Uh, there was the Kier run, and there was the Gorsey run. Now there were other runs as well for different causes. There was a Drawling Bjork Stradon one time, and there was a also there'd be a run, Milltown run, and there was some other runs that might be set up. But they sort of checkered histories just came and went. But you had all the time uh, the the big street runs and. Prior to the RAN starting at Hall, you know, that every RAN would have its own headquarters. Say, we're, where we are at the moment now, and I'm speaking to you, this was the headquarters of the John Street RAN, and still is. In your own in house? In my own house, yeah. yes, because it was a public house as well. And uh, the Gore Street RAN said their headquarters would be in John Lynch's, or now Ganey's. And if you go back to the KA, it was, I think originally, it was go back to... It was be... Just Flahav's public house, but uh, and Paddy Barnes, and it was later. And then, of course, the Green and Gold headquarters has always been um, O'Flaherty's and um, Fergus Flaherty's and his father prior to him. So yeah. the run was more or less structured, or form of form that public house. That, but logically, I suppose, it was a place where people would meet and have a drink. And uh, normally, in each of the headquarters, they would keep the banner. 
they'd collect the straws would be brought in if there were rents who had straws and uh, also that the, um, the planning pre-planning for the rent would be arranged and the pre-planning for the rent was a very big thing because if you go back in, in Dingle say go back to the 50s now that's quite a while back it was a great marching tradition uh, every Sunday night say from September to Christmas we, the, we'd march often around the town without any music necessary to just practice I'd be honest about it looking back and it's a uh, it was just probably for enjoyment of pastime because in many cases there was no it was pre-television and the people just marched and just congregated with Sunday night which was all to all all hoping that thing going that the ran itself uh, for now there was a special forming for marching as well mm-hmm. like like they wouldn't we wouldn't have music only except for Sunday night that thing but the form for marching would be that uh, the Rand's Day itself, you'd have the uh, the general form, you'd have the music in the back of the Rand. Then you'd have the Snow Boys. And then you could have the, there'd be two rows marching, maybe there could be 60 or 70 people, and the captain would be in the middle, keeping them apart. To the two, and then the banner, the street name, or whatever the Rand it would be, Drolene uh, Stradion, or whatever it would be, Green and Gold. Uh, then you'd have the hobby horse in front of it. And you may have, many of the rands would have floats or rand cars. Floats would be where some cotton scene that they would sort of dress up people maybe. In, like there was a famous one in the John Street Rand one time with, depicting the famous boxer Joe Luce when he won <laughs> his world title. And I think it was all right they had a car where there was two people inside sparring. And it was all right in the evening, I believe, until... One of them had a little too much drink and didn't eat his partner, and there was a real sparring match. Well, no, that did happen occasionally, all right. And there was also another famous one when King Edward, I think it was the seventh, abdicated in England. You had a woman in Johnson here, Mrs. Casey, who dressed up as um, Mrs. Simpson, and that was in the Rand Car. Then you had uh, various floats. You had a famous one as well, uh, the Ranga, the both of us, um, unfortunately, stuck the rocks in Dunquin. I remember a float by that. I think it was Green Gold to that. Green and Gold actually had a lot of uh, floats of late years. We had a very, very good float about five years ago in the John Street Ram. And it came actually out from Tralee, from the Rose of Tralee. And it was uh, Binny Moore and his son that actually bought it, which was very, very good, actually. But that would be part of that. That, that would be even a stronger tradition of that before. And But you still would have the same basic format there for it. Then... The music of the ring was very, very important. See, in Dingle itself, there was a, a fife band, a fife and drum band, which goes back to the middle of the last, not the last century, but the century prior to that again. And many of the people who were involved in that band were ex-British Army uh, people, and they played a certain repertoire of music, mainly jigs, uh, marches and polkas, but they had a special rand flavour to them. And while the repertoire would be limited, it was very, very... Uh, very, very animated, lovely, lovely, the music itself it was beautiful music, really. And it's still, I suppose, uh, really, really, um, Dingle is the one area where you will get this music played in a continual basis. One or two of the bigger groups of music, well, one in particular, Dear Donnan, because there was a next, the Flannerys, of course, they were the main backbone of the, of the Fife and Drum Band. And they, they, their nephew, Charlie Piggott, who played with Deodanon, he was a very good musician. He actually bought some of them tunes from Dingle and Deodanon played a number of them in their recordings. But that's only an aside, really, which was fifes and drum. 
Yeah, then there was the a pipe, yeah, there was a pipe band in before that. Even there was a pipe band here in John Street. I personally don't remember it. I remembered pipes in the run, right, paid by Mikey Casey and by Dan Ferretter. But uh, we had our pipes in the run, and usually for the first round of the town, the pipes we, we'd have, if we hadn't the pipe, because you're well aware, say, playing bagpipes. Uh, it's a very, if it, particularly if the day is bad, which the run day can be invariably bad, uh, it's very hard to continue playing them uh, all day. And, and, and we had we had a tradition here. I remember people like, there was three brothers here in John Street. They were all blacksmiths. Uh, Morris the go, John the go, and Johnny. They were all uh, O'Sullivan's. They all they were all in that pipe band. And I had people talking about them, you know. But so we we had a, we had pipes first and drums, the side drums. Did you have special streets where you would march well, around the town? Well, you, you marched through the town. You see, the tradition was that um, you stepped it off. Say in your own street, obviously, where you were called. They all gathered. We'd say in this case in this house. And they marched down the street, up the main street, up as far as the Holy Stone. Now, we talked, we never collected it when the first round of the town. The first round of the town was very important because it was more or less your sort of PR for the day where people would see how big or how strong the ram was. It's not that true, maybe, at the moment because you could often have, st- although we had a very big ram out last year again, but by the time we finished up in the evening, which is unusual, we had even a, big, a larger ram because the lands have got later, later and later. You know, one time they'd be out exactly we'd say 12 o'clock now it would be maybe one thirty to 2 o'clock but you marched up turned to the Holy Stone down Green Street back to the head of the, the quay and then that's when you actually started there collecting back at, yeah. at, at um, the cottages and then you collected then uh, you came a certain way again then through the town see all the runs there'd be four main runs really but but uh, of late years I suppose the two more consistent runs I say are the Johnson run our own run Stradon run and uh, Green and Gold like they have never set of you know we we were the John Street run was always pretty strong to be honest about it, and even in the sixties no we we probably did we had an extremely big run like we by far bigger than most of the runs in the town, but it is wonderful like because the Green and Gold have excellent runs of late and they're very well organised and I think for the last couple of years. Uh, it's good to see that the ghosts would have an excellent run. I was delighted to see him, particularly in the last few years, that they had a very fine run. The Kieran has had a bit of checkered history. You know, one year it could be out, maybe we might not see it in for a number of years, but in the last few years it hasn't been there. Mm-hmm. So there's only three main town runs, you could say, but they're very, very big. Mm-hmm. And personnel can change within them as well. One time, so there was a strict tradition, say, that if you were from, we'd say, an area of a town, you went with that run. And even if you went and lived in another area of the town, you come back to your own street for the run. And even if there was people from this street say went to live in another area of the town, they'd always been look out for their own run, and they'd always give them more in the collection than there would other runs. You know that there was a great uh, uh, loyalty and allegiance to it. So, have you have you seen the the dress change over the years, or has it remained the same? I'm I'm just thinking of the the straw hats. And well, I, I'd explain really about the dress. You see, first of all, we'd say. We in the John Street run probably are the oldest tradition of the straws. Really, the straw outfits. And the straw outfits would probably go back to the weddings, you know, where people went after a wedding uh, wishing look to the bride and groom and the wearing the straw outfits. Now, they were very strong in our run, actually. We were the only run in Dingle that used to have the straws for years and years. And we were fortunate at the time that many of the local farmers, particularly in the Garfney area, you know, a Garfney and area, had a great split. Every farmer had oats, that him. Now, there's no oats grown in West Kerry now, maybe one farmer. So you said for Hobson's Choice, you, they're always willing to give it to you, but the quality is indifferent. 
Like we had, you know, a couple of years we had really problems regards the oats because it was too short. But we were one time able to go out to all them farmers. Like we started Gaffney Bridge, at Dow's House, Kennedy's, the Rails, the Lynch's, the Dowd's and the um, Collins's, uh, Kennedy's again, and over as far as um, the cross Tom Johnson's. And they would usually we'd get four or five sheaves of oats in each house. They always gave us the best of oats, and they're always delighted to see us coming. And many of the people say who gave us the oats might be participating in the run, so our neighbours were uh, all farmers who would be in the run, possibly with us again the following day. <laughs> or if they wouldn't, they'd be there late at night when we come in and have a drink with us. But... Um, and we're collecting it like we collected in Pony and Car, like we collected later years. Then I collected myself often Christmas morning with 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 a, with a car to score. But they were, we were always very very welcome, and they always kept. But the, the oats have not the last ten years. Mm-hmm. The farmers are growing oats, mm-hmm. and it's quite a task actually to get good oats. And we'd be very particular about it. And we had certain people who made the stars. I myself learned it like it was like an apprenticeship to learn how to properly to make the suits of stars. And many of the people. I can remember particularly people like John Kerryman Ferreter, Danny McKenna, and then making the saws. And they were all, and I was, you see, when you would be used to saw, we'd have eight suits of saws always. And the suits of saws normally would be made on Christmas Day. And the reason, we don't make them now on Christmas Day, we might make them a few weeks before, so I'd come down myself to make them. Um, we would have even an even amount. We'd be always either eight suits or ten suits. And there'd be certain people there who'd tip pull the straw the first thing you do you get the sheaf of oats hit hit the the wall get rid of the oats because to be too heavy on, on the sieve then to get special people to pull the, the oats and the lighter you pulled it the better because you can, like as you said the, the weather could vary and if it was a very wet day and if the, the, a lot of oats the straws would be very heavy on a person but uh, some people were experts at it like and even to the present day you get people who are very very good to do that and then we get through garden rope and there's three parts in the suit the head which is the most intricate part in a way because uh, the cape, which goes around the shoulders, and then the skirt, which goes around the waist. Well, the skirt is the biggest part, really, because you have to, obviously, a person is wider at the waist, and you'll make that larger. And sometimes, even even one time, I remember that there was always the same people who used to wear the stars and all ran. So we could nearly make, they were all nearly tailor-made suits. So I remember, you know, names that a lot of them seen more. They're all like Joe Connor, baby John Connor. John Kerry Manferrater, you know, driver love with Mickey Johnson, Bob uh, Bob Sullivan, he's come from England, John O'Loughlin, you know, all all the same people used to nearly wear them year after year, and I just and just funny the ghost of I remember one year, years upon years ago, had had saws made. Now, just to show how strong the tradition was in John Street, that they had names in the back, they put names, you know, the Guinness signs, you turn them around, they had cardboard, and they had written in the name, names of people from our ran, who were wearing them. That was, uh, we had a very, very strong tradition. And there was great care made with making the straws as well, like, and that there would be, particularly the head, the head is the most intricate part of it, and to have it properly um, embellished and have the, the, you know, after making it, uh, there was a man here living in this street as well, like Mikey Case. He was a travelling music. He came in here uh, to the street, I think in the, in the late in the thirties, if not before that, maybe the twenties. And uh, he was very, very. He was a great craftsman also. He was a musician as well, and he played the pipes and played him in the run. But he used to make paper flowers, different colours, and we used to be put on the 
on the 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 little what they say the horses would be coming up from them and they look very very nice like he'd usually get a very maybe get a couple of drinks out of the ran or something for them but uh, they were very and afterwards then the embellishment they used to put on balloons and things which was these little paper flowers in a lot of cases they 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 don't have to be embellished anyway but they always they were always the group who stood in the last of the in the ran the musicians. The stars would be always the end, and they'd go to, you know, it's not as disciplined now. You could see the stars in any part of the run now, but they kept together. I mean, uh, we were very careful making them, and after, and you see, I mentioned Christmas Day making them. You know, as you're well aware, Christmas Day was a day where there's, you know, it's, pubs didn't open, it would be a very, very black day, but there was a tradition always with the run that people who'd made the stars, uh, it'd always get a couple of drinks, and would usually be put down in the book for the next day to be collected out of the ran. Yeah. But um, the ran, then, then a lot of the stars, actually, once they were made, they were disre- disregarded. They were never kept on from year to year. I remember myself, actually, going back very far, Brian McMahon in Listowel asking me to, to make one for, when he had to play in the Abbey, um, the Honey Spike. Oh, yes. And uh, we're making two suits of stars, and that's in the mid-50s, and sending them up. And we sent, I remember making stars as well, and we sent some to the States, just for, they wanted them there for, in one or two cases, just one for the museum, and the other one was, I think, a man who was just collecting artefacts. such thing as transport in my time you walk up but we wouldn't miss a house in the world in, in the locality no matter how far it would be from the main road and from the hills of West Limerick living in Turnafulla Dan Curtin it was always sure money like to go in to no matter how far in it was and if we used to have a big batch always and where the, the houses would come in in off the road we'd divide our batch we used to have plenty of musicians because there were plenty of them available at the time. And they'd go at the other side and they'd meet at a certain point then when they'd have the, the, that much ground travelled. Yeah. And uh, always, we used to have fat, we used to have around uh, three or four kegs of porter and we'd have whiskey and minerals and give a couple of meals through. Um, would you ever be turned away from a house? I mean, would you always... People were generous, were they? They, 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 they? they were, but you know, the house would get the money in. <laughs> <laughs> would you dress up for the ramp? Oh, I would. Uh, what, was it straw or... No, uh, very little. exactly what, what, you, what would you wear? Uh, more or less... Uh, well, it was... We'll say you'd get a pants of different colours or anything different. Anywhere that it would be... Uh, different colours and you would dress up your hat in with holly and ribbons as well and that was it like but they wouldn't cover the face at all covering the face was a bad job because you would go into a place and they wouldn't know you and they mightn't give you much <laughs> you see which when you would let your face yeah. exposed yeah. you would be known mm-hmm. well that was my experience in the run but we were held going on the run for a good number of years but uh, we had no problem in getting houses that time but uh, afterwards, like, uh, 
it got serious about holding the runners because uh, the sergeant tipped us off about it like that you should have insurance and that kind of way because you had the prime boy that would come along and he might fall outside the door coming out from it and he'd make a claim. Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, Murmurs and Ranboys. The full interviews are available from our website, that's irishlifeandlore.com. And if you would like to subscribe to Irish Life and Lore, go to our donations page on our website, because we need your generosity to keep our archive going. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward again to bringing you another podcast next week.